This is Religion and Theology, a podcast from the Center for Theology and Religious Studies. On the 14th and 15th of March 2022, CTR hosted a conference in memory of Oswald Lande, previous professor of mission studies at Lund University. In this episode, we will listen to Kaisa Alstrand, professor from Uppsala University, who give a talk with the name A Bit Christian, A Bit Buddhist. Mika Vehekangas, professor of mission studies at CTR, will give an introduction to the conference and to its first speaker. want to wish you very warmly welcome to join this conference on multi-religious identities and this is a conference in memory of Oswald Blande who was a professor in, um, on this chair previously. This conference is arranged by uh, the Center for Theology and Religious Studies of Lund University, Institute for, uh, for Contextual Theology in Lund, as well as Lund Mission Society. We thank Lud Mission Society and the Krug Foundation for their generous support. As uh, many of you know, this conference has twice been postponed for a full year each time. Each time when postponing, we have been very hopeful that there would be the brave new post-COVID world, where things might not be exactly the same as they used to be, but at least similar. While COVID has caused still some of us not being able to uh, join in person, at least many of us can feel the joy of being present in person. However, the post-COVID world proved not to be quite as brave and nice as we expected. The brutal onslaught of Putin's Russia on Ukraine casts a long shadow on our time. For some of us, this makes COVID as a crisis look like rather trivial. Now, the delirious folly of a corrupt and immoral regime in Moscow threatens to cast the whole world into flames. We can thank Providence that on the other side of the nuclear divide there is no longer a narcissist uh, nutcase. However, this disheartening situation may awaken in us the question whether it is relevant at all right now to convene in a conference on multi-religious identities. Would we not have something much better to do in this delicate situation? But I would still strongly argue that this is actually an opportune time to discuss this issue. Let me tell you why. As one of the greatest leaders of world's Christians today, Moscow Patriarch Kirill points out, what happens in Ukraine right now is a battle not primarily of physical but 
of metaphysical significance. For him, it is the war on values. I completely agree about, uh, with him on this. This is about values. On one side, you have the patriarch supporting war, merciless murdering of civilians, and, uh, and annexation of an independent neighboring country. On the other hand, side, as the patriarch points out, are those who value freedom. For him, freedom, including the gay pride parades, is an aberration and should be crushed. So, as we can see clearly, religion plays a role in oppression and even genocide. Practically, Almost always, the mode of religions involved in oppression of different levels is religion that attempts to exercise full control of its adherents and to expand the following to the whole given population. Often, this unifying drive goes hand in hand with attempts to create a uniform nation and even ethnicity. This approach to religion is not only morally condemnable, but also patently incorrect in the light of rea the realities on the ground. Religious, uh, religious studies and any vigilant observer will readily see how the idea of pure religion is a mirage in practice. It is also a logical mistake considering how religions historically build upon each other. At the personal level, this cooks down to multi-religious identities. These multi-religious identities, are they diversions from the pure Orthodox faith? Or are they natural and inevitable part of human religiosity? Or... Are they even a higher form of religiosity that provides the believer a better view on the, the, uh, on the divine realities? We will be discussing some of these issues during these days. But anyways, recognition of, of the diversity of human existence is one of the prerequisites of peace, peaceful convivence. This recognition of diversity within oneself is often also a prerequisite of peace within oneself, at least in situations where one has divergent backgrounds and experiences. So, acknowledging one's own uh, multi-religious identity as a part of one's uh, own multiple identity may be a way of finding a peace with yourself. Because of all that, I think that it is very much in place to discuss multi-religious identities and to commemorate professor, priest, missionary, uh, a psalm writer or, or like a, a hymn writer, and a devoted practitioner of interreligious dialogue, also London. I trust that uh, in these times he would be emphasizing the value of interreligious and intercultural 
dialogue and cooperation. Without further ado, I would like to welcome Professor Kaiser Alstrand from Uppsala University to present her paper. of awesomes we studied together in Uppsala for quite a while. So my lecture is called A Little Bit Buddhist, A Little Bit Christian. Uh, in case you have missed the funniest religious joke of all times, it's official, here it is. Says one, once I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump, I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. I said, me too. Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. What franchise? He said, Baptist. I said, me too, Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist. He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too, Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist. He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region. He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. I said, me too. <laughs> Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, die heretic and I pushed him over. <laughs> this joke has a documented history. It was written by Emo Phillips, an American stand-up comedian and first released in the 1985 album E equals MO2. The poll where it was voted the funniest religious joke of all times was organised in 2005 by the website Ship of Fools, the magazine of Christian unrest. So it's clear that this joke builds on stereotypes about religious people. Stereotypes taken to the extreme its linchpin is the idea that religious people can only tolerate other religious people if they are of exactly the same variety. Even the smallest differences in religious belonging or theological conviction can lead to religious people killing each other. The joke uses dichotomies 
Christian or Jew, Protestant or Catholic, Northern or Southern Baptist, and finally, Council of 1879 or Council of 1912. I got curious about those councils, so I had to look them up, what happened. And I think Emo Phillips made them up, because the only things I was able to find out about um, Baptist theological conflicts um, during that time was um, that in 1879 the big theological question among American Baptists related to whether communion should be open or closed and in 1912 the separate or the Arminian Baptists, those who are closer to uh, Methodist um, theology tried to unite but they had then been separated from other Baptists since, since 1776. So there isn't much to find out about those councils. Anyway, this lecture is a refutation of this view of religious people, pointing to the possibility of being a little bit Baptist of that convention or and that convention, or a little bit Baptist and a little bit Jewish, to use the categories of Phillips's joke. But, of course, it has to be recognised that there are numerous examples of religious groups excluding, discriminating, or even killing members of other religious groups who are perceived to be enemies of the truth. In the history of Christianity, the fights between the Homoousians and the Homoousians in the 4th century are often seen as examples of doctrinal hatred leading to armed confrontations. The Crusades would be another example, or the Thirty Years' War in continental Europe. That being said, we also know that there are very few armed conflicts that are purely religious. Geopolitics, economics and ideology need to come into the mix in order to get an armed conflict really going. There is, however, another element, and that is how we value news and write history. And this would then be the place for another old joke. One day on board a big ship, the helmsman showed signs of intoxication and the captain wrote in the logbook, the helmsman was drunk today. The next day, the helmsman kept the records in the logbook and wrote, the captain was sober today. Uh, and, of course, this joke plays on the convention that you don't record the normal state of being. Uh, only what differs from what is to be expected. It was true that the captain was sober, but that was to be expected. And by recording it, uh, the impression was given that he was drunk on a regular basis. Lasting peace and absence of conflict rarely make it to the news. 
and that may be a good thing, as that is that peace is considered to be the normal state of things. <coughs> Conflict, violence and confrontation not only make it to the news, they are often seen as the factors that drive history, including church history. If you want to study a certain period, you look for conflict. And then you study how conflict evolves and how conflict is resolved. Conflict is history. Conflict is how to view different groups relating to one another. And conflict is researchable. But people get on quite well most of the time. And religious people, the majority of people in the world are religious, uh, don't seem to have more difficulties getting on with their neighbours than non-religious people. Or that being religious contributes to the hardship of getting along that we always experience as human beings. Another given, so this is a given that conflict is researchable and um, the normal state of things does not make it to the news if that is peace and uh, mutual understanding. Uh, but another given that needs to be challenged is the assumption that religious traditions are mutually exclusive and that a person has to choose one religion and discard all other traditions. It is rather a fact that quite a few people relate to more than one religion just as many people speak more than one language. And when we think of this, we can think of those who have grown up in interreligious families where the parents belong to different religious communities and the children relate to both. Or as one young boy who was uh, interviewed said, well... <coughs> At Christmas, when we are at uh, ma my mother's mother, my maternal grandmother, then we go to church. And in summer, when uh, we are with the other grandmother, then we sometimes visit the mosque. So this was how it was working in a family. And just as a child should not have to choose one parent over another, one language over another, although it sometimes or often so happens that one language becomes dominant. Uh, a child should not necessarily choose one parent's religion over another, although if they happen to be in uh, an environment where one religion is more present than another, that might be the fact that that will be the stronger religion. But it's possible to have a good relationship also to the lesser practiced religion. They don't have to be 
um, equally practiced. I checked out where I could find uh, mugs and water. <coughs> so experiences from interreligious families tell of different ways of helping children grow up with positive relations to both traditions. And others have, as adults, found helpful religious practices from other traditions than the one to which they officially belong. We have Zen meditation, yoga, Sufi prayer practices or sacred drumming combined with Christianity or Judaism. So it doesn't necessarily be a case of official um, dual belonging uh, or multiple belonging, but of incorporating elements that are found helpful from other religions. Uh, a little bit of the old may enrich the new. A little bit Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, etc. And of course this is then the question of where <clears throat> does this come to appropriation, a kind of using uh, spiritual elements from one tradition uh, without due respect for the tradition as such, or especially the practitioners today, those who identify with the tradition. So this is an ongoing negotiation, uh, how to respectfully um, learn from other religious tradition and not just take what you see as valuable. And there are tales of conversion where the religion one has left still is important in one's life. Um, one of my PhD students is uh, researching converts from uh, Islam to Lutheran Christianity. And one of the interviewees said, I grew up as a Muslim, I am now a Christian, but I still pray five times a day. I find that to be a good practice. And I teach my children how we can be inspired by good Muslims to be better Christians. So that is a way of positively relating to one tradition. To choose one religion does not necessarily mean that everything in another religion has to be discarded. So this is also an example of how a little bit of the old may enrich the new, can be carried over into the new. And, of course, there are those who have friends who belong to another tradition and learn from their way of... Um, relating to the divine from their traditions, spiritual traditions and traditions of learning without joining that or um, explicitly incorporating that in one's own practice, but still appreciating that it is there 
uh, a bit of what uh, Krista Stendhal used to call, call holy envy, that you can see that there is something beautiful in another tradition and be happy that that exists without necessarily making it your own, but being a little bit envious that it is not uh, in your tradition. So that is another way of relating and appreciating uh, those things in other traditions that uh, you see. And of course there are also scholars and, and practitioners who have found other traditions intellectually and spiritually satisfying and helpful and managed to combine insights from more than one tradition to the extent that they identify as Buddhist Christian or Christian Buddhist or a Jubu, Jewish Buddhist and so on. Or it may be just as simple as a person living in a context with more than one tradition, visiting places of worship, reading spiritual literature, celebrating holy days, etc., and not seeing the other traditions as threat by part of what it means to be religious in this very place. So empirically, we can conclude that there are many people in the world who relate positively to more than one religious tradition. In some cases, one religion is dominant in a person's life, but the other is not insignificant. <clears throat> there are, for example, clergy in the Church of Sweden who come from a partly Jewish family background and see themselves as belonging both to the Jewish and Christian communities. They may not be practicing Jews, but in certain situations, as when they become targets of anti-Semitic slurs, threats or even violence, they, their Jewishness comes to the fore. So this doesn't necessarily mean that they try to combine Jewish practices with Christian theology, but then being Jewish is not only about religion. <coughs> Fifteen years ago, I was involved in a research project that focused on religion in a Swedish municipality near Uppsala. The region is known for its fairly average average by Swedish standards, that is, low in an international perspective, degree of religious involvement. Which means that religion plays a relatively small part in most people's everyday life, but can be activated in times of crisis or significant uh, events in family lives, such as the birth of a child or a funeral. In a survey, we asked about how people would describe themselves religiously, giving them the opportunity to choose more than one label and also different degrees of identification, completely, fairly much, moderately, fairly little, not at all. The labels they could choose between were Christian, Muslim, Jew, Buddhist, Hindu, believer, spiritual, religious seeker, atheist, and doubter. As it turned out, 
The majority of the respondents used the middle terms for identification when they positively identified with a religious stance, fairly much, moderately, and fairly little. We thus ended up with a rather small group, but still the largest of those who identified with more than one uh, religious tradition who said that they were a little bit Buddhist and a little bit Christian. This is a kind of religiosity we can expect to find in Sweden and other northern European countries, a little bit. Sometimes a little bit of this and a little bit of that. A kind of informal, a little of this and a little of that, while formally informal, yeah, but while formally identifying with one religion, and that means the religion in which one would like to be buried. And this is what takes place in late modern majority secular society. It is indeed possible to be a little bit Buddhist, to read books by the Dalai Lama, try to practice mindfulness, appreciate Buddhism and Buddhists without necessarily knowing a lot about it. Or as one journalist who interviewed me about why do you think that uh, Swedes like Buddhism, and she had already an answer for that. She said, I think people in Sweden like Buddhism because there are no precepts in that religion. That baffled me. And the forms of Buddhism many people in Northern Europe encounter do indeed not emphasize the precepts. It is a form of mild Swedish Buddhism barely recognisable as Buddhism by South Asian Buddhist practitioners for whom the precepts are, precepts are central. But nevertheless, uh, a small twig on the big bow tree. Is it possible to make space for these kinds of very mild religious identification in interreligious studies and interreligious dialogue. Some of the things I find frustrating in texts about interreligious dialogue are, for example, people are, that people are supposed to be firmly rooted in their respective religious traditions. Um, well, not everybody is. Uh, some feel that they have a positive relationship to um, uh, religious tradition, but to say that they are firmly rooted may be just saying too much. Or that religion is a central tenet in their lives. No, not unless something very unexpected happens. Or that knowledge of one's religious tradition is supposed to be rather extensive. Well, most would probably know uh, why Christmas is celebrated in the church here. Perhaps also Easter, but be a much hazier when it comes to Pentecost. So is what, what level of knowledge is um, sufficient to be able to participate in uh, interreligious um, 
conversations. And I think this is, if it's only for the experts or those who are um, the virtuosi of religious practice, where does that take us? Where is the space for those who have this vaguer identification? So when I look at the situation in Sweden, I see very little of these strong kinds of religious belonging, not only among majority Swedes, but also in some of the other religious communities. It is often said that people who participate in interreligious dialogues are not supposed to represent their entire communities, but, also, but only themselves. But people for whom religion is not perceived as a central tenet in their lives may not be interested in, particip in participating in interreligious conversation. However, I think we may discover such conversations taking place without labels. The study of everyday religion or lived religion needs to incorporate interreligious perspectives and awareness of the fact that one person may be a little bit of this and an even littlier bit of that. But even as scholars of religion, we are not always aware of how we combine different traditions. It takes an outsider to see and notice that. I will finish with a story from the day after Osulf Lander defended his dissertation in Uppsala in spring of 1988. His faculty opponent had been Professor of Modern Japanese Intellectual History, uh, Takedacho. And she uh, was born in 1917 and died in 2018 at the ripe age of 100 years. Uh, but this was in 1988, so you can do the maths and um, realize her age when she came to Uppsala. Uh, we were honoured to host her in our home in Vendel, north of Uppsala, and take her to, on a tour to our beautiful 14th century church with murals. Um, she had not visited such an old church in northern Europe before and was baffled. Is this a Catholic or a Protestant church? <coughs> Of course she knew about the Reformation in the 16th century. She had studied it, but she had not seen what it could look like, uh, a church from that time transitioned from one tradition to another without, without changing its interior. And we still use the um, sacramental vessels uh, that were made in the 14th and 15th centuries. The main thing that happened was that during the time of the Reformation was that the uh, priest was able to legally marry the mother of his children. Uh, but, and of course this was very different from the faces of Protestantism and Catholicism that you encounter in Asia where 
the two traditions are often defined as two uh, different religions. The second thing Takedachio commented on was the cemetery and the graves. You know what it often looks like in a Swedish churchyard? You have the graves with the gravel on them and um, the, they are sometimes made into intricate patterns. And she was completely fascinated by this. And she saw them as mini miniature gardens for the ancestors. Uh, and the flowers taken from the home gardens were brought to the cemetery to be shared with the dead ancestors. So in Vendel churchyard reverence for ancestors is combined with Christian traditions in ways that are not uh, given in uh, other parts of the world. And um, she was a bit sad that this custom had not been brought to the East, that it might have eased the transition to Christianity if uh, people were still able to um, respect and show that kind of veneration for the ancestors by creating miniature gardens for them. So we are indeed, I discovered then, a little bit Christian and a little bit something else. Thank you.